What a great way to come to the Word of God with a heart that says, okay, Lord, whatever you tell me, that's what I'm going to do. I surrender all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word, how powerful it is. Lord, when we consider the saints of the past and their faith, Lord, it's intimidating because sometimes we make the mistake of thinking it was about them and their power and their strength, but Lord, it's about you and the way you use people to be a reflection of your power and glory and grace. And Lord, we want to be that people. As we see, even in our city, the times getting darker and darker as our leaders um, desire to please the flesh rather than you. And Lord, we think, Lord, our hope is dying, but Lord, our hope is not changed because you are our hope. And Lord, you can make us shine even brighter in contrast to the darkness that's creeping in. Lord, so that we might be found faithful in our time and our place, Lord. Stir us up to faithfulness. Lord, I pray now that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher. Lord, that the message might be yours, that each one of us as listeners might be spirit-filled, obedient to the word, not just hearers only. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise. Because, Lord, you are worthy of all of our lives, our praise, and our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. By faith, faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. The power of faithful leadership. I love the story of Moses. Moses is probably the greatest leader the world has ever seen, and that's a lot. The secret to his leadership was that he, as we sang, surrendered to the Lord. Now, Moses was not perfect, and God shows his mistakes very glaringly. He was not allowed to go into the promised land because he made one mistake. He struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock. God wanted it to be a picture of the Messiah coming. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians that Jesus was the rock that followed them, that gave them water and life and protection and shade and provision in the wilderness. He made that one mistake in anger, and God said, nope, you're not going in. So he shows that leaders of all people need to be an example but it's not by their power, their might, their ingenuity that God used them. 
is when they were empty vessels to be filled with him. There's a book written, The Power of the, of the Kneeling Pastor. And it's about prayer. And in that, the writer says this. Man likes to make a lot of plans and strategies. But God wants to make much of a man. Now, what does that mean? Because it seems at the front of the side, that means that he really wants to glorify man. No, no, no. He wasn't glorifying man. He wants to use the foolish things to confound the things that are wise. The things that are weak to confound the things that are mighty. So that no flesh would glory in his presence. But we only glory in Jesus Christ. Moses was a man like that. But godly leadership many, many times starts with parents that were obedient. And in verse 23, we see the faithful example of righteous decisions. Now, the word righteousness comes from a Greek word, diakonos, and in the Hebrew, they tried to bring that into English. And so, diakonos doesn't, mean, doesn't sound much like uh, uh, righteousness, but it's the meaning of the word, right wiseness. The ability, the wisdom to make a decision that honors God that comes into conformity with God's will and God's word, right wiseness. Now, if you're paying attention to the things going on in Laramie, you know that used to be things got here last that kind of worked in from the coast, right? The evil things, the influence of Satan. And uh, we know that it just comes from our own heart. But it seems like it kind of comes that way. Well, it's here. And when you look at the book of Romans, the first chapter, verses 19 and following, you see the effects of a culture that turned their back on God. And you're not going to stop it. See, the Bible told us how things are going to conclude. Paul said in 2 Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own self, disobedient, rebellious, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's where we live. See, God is using these times to wrap up the time on earth. So you can fight against that or you can say, Lord, what's my time? What's, what is faithfulness for me in my time and my place? Now, it's not just, well, I guess everything's going bad. Might as well just give up. No, no, no. Things were dark. There was a promise of a Messiah to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. There was a promise God was going to lead them out one day. And as God blessed them by multiplying them, you look back at Joseph, when, even when he brought his brothers in, how God was, was working. Because, you know, 70-some people, that would be very easy just to assimilate into a culture. But God was going to build a nation. Just little things. Now, Joseph talked to his brothers he said, now when you meet the king, when you meet the pharaoh, you tell them you're shepherds. Why did he tell them that? Because he knew Egyptians didn't like to be around shepherds. As far as he was concerned, shepherds were an abomination. And God was motivating Joseph to keep his people separate. So they gave them the land of Goshen. Instead of just bringing them in and assimilating, he gave them a special place. Dr. Bookman teaches us, even in the land of Israel, 
God created the geography so there would be a people that all the world could see their faith and their God, but they'd also be secluded from the influence of the world. Even the geography, God did that. So as God was building this nation in Egypt, he gave them their own separate place, Goshen. And began to grow. But when Joseph died, the beginning of the end was at his death. Because the Pharaoh rose that didn't remember what Joseph had done. So they began to just abuse these people. And they thought, well, if we just, you know, give them some testing and some hard work, that'll slow them down. What happened? They just multiplied more because God was in it. Persecution doesn't put the light of God out. And they multiplied more and more. And so the Pharaoh came up with an evil plan, just like our leaders today. You see, because in an evil empire like our nations become, like communist China, they see children as a liability. I hope in your family as a believer, you don't see children as a liability. That when the wife comes to you and says, oh, we're going to have a baby, you go, oh, man, what are we going to do? You say, well, I, I guess I didn't intend that. Oh, really? I hear a lot of people say, well, that one was a mistake. Not in God's eyes. Not in God's eyes. There are no mistakes. Well, this is just a bad time. Nobody could say they had a worse time to have a baby than Jochebed. Because the king, first of all, came up with a brilliant idea. Why don't we... We just got to kill off all the males, and then they'll have to marry our people, and they'll assimilate. So he told the midwives, what you do is when, as soon as you see what sex it is, you just snuff the baby's life out, and then you tell the mom, oh, sorry, the baby died. But you know what? God was at work. And even in those pagan Egyptian midwives, God stirred them up to something that ought to be very natural, and that's the preciousness of life. We live in a nation that looks as children. We have people that scream on corners to be able to kill babies. They don't call it that. They call it the right of women. But it's really the right to snuff out life. How upside down is our nation that we don't see our children and the lives that are coming. I don't care what home they come from. Do you know where they put, want to put the first? All the abortion clinics and all that kind of counseling? In black neighborhoods. Because you see the, for, the framers of that kind of a culture, they were just socialistic like Nazis. And they said, well, we just don't want to have good kids being born to good families. It's like they decide that is wicked, that is evil. To a helpless child, they decide what his life and what the quality of his life is. And so, well, we determined it's not, so we snuff them out. That is so wicked. It's not new to our, to our world. The Pharaoh was doing it in the beginning. But you know what? God worked in those midwives' lives. And they said, they came up with a lie. Now, God didn't honor the lie. He did honor their faithfulness. They said, well, we're just going to tell because what does he know? Guys don't like going, going into the birthing room, even though we do nowadays. It's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, when the, our first child that was still kind of in the dark ages of that. I don't know if Lynn ever experienced that, but we, we had to stay outside. And you know, we were happy for that. We were happy to stay outside. But I, I, I'm glad that I got to go in and, and, and experience some of that also. 
with the, uh, I think it started with Sam because I should have gone in with David, but he came so fast. They, they were so worried I was going to, you know, faint. I'm like, I've seen calves born. That's not a big deal. You know, I'm not going to faint. So they sent me down to get something to eat. And they called uh, Mr. Barton, return to the labor room. And I go in, where's the baby? David was already born. So finally with Sam, I got to go in and enjoy that, that whole experience. Well, the Pharaoh didn't know what was going on. He was like most men. Hey, you know, let's not talk about that. That's kind of scary. Yeah. How about the girls? They have to go through it actually, you know. So they said, well, listen, you know, you can't believe these Hebrew women. Why? They're so lively. By the time we hear a baby, should be warned, they're already up. They've already had the baby, and we can't, they already know the baby's alive. What are we going to do? So Pharaoh came up with an edict, and I'm sure there was a threat of death. And he said, you Hebrews, any male child is born, you throw him in the river. You worship our God. See, the, the river Nile was a God they worshiped. You throw him in the river. But this baby was born... And his parents saw that he was a beautiful child. Now listen, that's not, that's not supernatural. Now, when somebody else's baby is born, and, and you haven't seen a lot of babies born, you go, ha, ah, isn't it beautiful? And you go, yeah. Now, a couple months, they start drinking mama's milk, and they start putting weight on Then they start looking like puppies. Then they're cute. But when you've had a few of those... All of a sudden, there's something so precious. And right away, what do we do? You've been a parent, or especially when you're a grandparent, you start, well, what do they look like? Oh, yeah, they got their mama's nose. Praise the Lord. And we start picking those things out, the color of their, their hair, how their fingers and hands look. Because the psalmist said in Psalm 135, or 139, I am just... He said, I'm amazed at how God formed me in the womb. We, we get, as parents, we get to see that. We call it procreation. We get to be involved in what God does. But I think it was more than that. These people, they knew the promises that had been passed down. And part of the promise was they were going to go into this land of Egypt God was going to build them. They were going to suffer. And they are now suffering. And then God was going to deliver them. And they knew it was going to take a leader. Now I think God gave them special insight. How does he do that? 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. By spiritual words and spiritual thoughts. He knows what he's going to do. He knows how he gifts a child. And he can put that into the heart of a parent. And we know that because when Stephen was preaching the great message that he preached just before he died, he talked about the history of Israel and he talked about this very important, powerful leader, Moses. And he said that God saw this was a beautiful child. They just saw what God saw. And I think God let him in insight, this is the one. This is the one. Now there's probably a lot of mothers thinking maybe I'll have the one, but this is the one. You know, clear back to Eve, she thought she was going to have the one. Now, he's not the Messiah to redeem us from sin, but he was a Savior, wasn't he? He was going to lead them out. 
So they had to make a decision. They weren't going to kill this baby. See, it's unrighteousness. So much is, is talked about, well, the, there's the quality of the mother and the quality of the child, so let's just snuff that baby's life out. Well, this would threaten the lives of the parents and maybe the whole family. I don't know what the threat was. But they put their trust in God for provision. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 18th century, said, listen, you don't have to worry about providing for your children when it comes to food and shelter and clothing. They're not your children. They're not the state's children. They're God's children. Psalm 127 says, children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is a reward. You trust God, he will provide for them. You just trust God and do what you're supposed to do today. Maybe you're a young woman and you find yourself because of your own sin, sin of somebody else, having a baby, not married. What brought you here might have been sin to this place, but that baby's not sin. And God will give you direction and he will provide if you'll just trust him. Like Jochebed did. Like Amram did. And so it says they hid that baby for three months. And you know how hard it is to hide a healthy baby? Maybe the soldiers were going house to house just trying to hear. And you know the neighbors, even during the, the Second World War when the Nazis were bringing such, so much terrible, terrible devastation to the Jewish people because of that. Some of the Jewish people were turning the other Jewish people, right? So it's, if it's my family, I'm going to turn that one in. And so they hit him for three months. And then they said, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? And I believe because of what the Bible teaches in all of its entirety that God was leading those parents. And God gave Amram or Jochebed the idea, hey, they said throw him in the river, so why don't we just do that? Only instead of just throwing him in there, we'll make a little basket for him. And we'll line it, put pitch on the outside so it'll float. And it is to throw in the river and watch him float downstream and just happened to be that Pharaoh's daughter came out there. They knew where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. And they put him in the current of the river. It says she placed him in the reeds. How did they know that the Pharaoh's daughter, they didn't. I believe they were just doing what the Lord told them to do. See, leadership just does what God wants to do. You know, when I come to this pulpit every week, I come in fear and trembling. I've never felt like I got a handle on this. I certainly don't have a handle on you. This is God's church, not mine. And when God gives a guy a call to ministry and to teach the word, he never tells him, now listen, think up something new. See if you can be kind of ingenious and give the people. No, that, that's what the liberals do. Because they don't see the power of God's word. God's pastor is simply charged with telling people what God said as clearly as he can. That's it. So these parents just did what God said. And then they put his older sister just there to kind of watch and be ready and see what God was going to do. They had to just trust their child. Because God told them, it wasn't their idea. I don't believe that for a minute. So... Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe, and there's this basket. He says, hey, what is that? Her servants bring it to her, open up, he starts crying. And you know what? God pinched that little baby. 
it melted the heart of that princess. And she knew right away, so this is one of the Hebrews' children. This is going to be mine. It's going to be mine. And maybe she tried to find somebody to nurse the baby, but God was working. And his sister Miriam said right away, uh, Princess, uh, you know, would you like me to find one of the Hebrew women to see if this baby will nurse with one of the Hebrew women? And in God's plan, God put that baby right back in his mother's arms. Isn't God good? Why? Because not only did this baby need to grow physically, his mother needed to pour into him the truths of God. Now you think, well, what can kids learn? I'll tell you, in our preschool and in your home and in our Sunday school, children can learn truth. And so we desire as parents, as Sunday school teachers, on every level, as youth pastor, to pour the Word of God into our children. Now listen, Jason loves, to, he loves having fun with our, with our young people. But he knows and he is dedicated to the main thing our kids get in youth group is the Word of God. Preaching is at every level of ministry in this church. Sunday school, youth group, adult, small group, it's all about the Word of God. That's what the sustenance of our life. And God said, you're going to pour this baby full of truth. So by the time this baby boy was weaned, he was already saturated with the love of God and the teachings of God's Word. Now, we're not told that he never saw his mother again. We don't know. Maybe he was able to come home, and and it was such a good thing for the, the princess to have somebody watch the kid when he was growing up. We don't know. We know he knew who his parents were. It wasn't a big surprise to him later. But God had a plan. And the plan was he was going to preserve this baby. Who are you trusting for your children? If it's God, there'll be a pattern in your life that the word of God is first. That it's not about the things of the world and making sure they're good and all that other stuff, but primarily, you know, sports have their place. That's good if they happen to be athletic. But that's not, that's not where success is going to be found. Success is going to be found as you fill them up with the Word of God and that Jesus Christ, they understand not only from your teaching but from your life and from your righteous decisions that always are based in the Word of God. Make straight paths for your feet, parents. So when the trouble comes, when the adversity comes to your children, they don't stumble and get put out of the way because they've been watching what you're doing more than what you're saying but as your words and your actions line up with the word of God, so there's a path, there's a, there's a four-lane highway for those kids to follow. And they got to climb over the fence to get out of there. Such were the parents of Moses. They simply trusted God. A faithful example and righteous decisions. Verses 24 and 25. A faithful leader identifies with the people of God. The Bible says in Acts 7.22, And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power and words and deeds. All the education, hieroglyphics, all the the science, and, and they were advanced more than any of their culture in science, in engineering, in building, in war. He was a mighty man. He was somebody. They were probably preparing him to be the next pharaoh. 
And you know, maybe even his, his folks were thinking, well, God used Joseph that way to preserve his people. He's going to use Moses the same way. You know what the difference is? We can explain this, can't we? You cannot explain, except for God, Joseph coming from prison to being prime minister. God gets all the glory for that. But if Moses, by being a military leader and a place of prominence, becomes Pharaoh and then preserves, he can say, well, yeah, hey, we can see how that happened. Because we try to do the same thing even in Christianity in our culture today, don't we? Oh, if only somebody would become a great athlete, then many people would come to Christ. If only someone could get a place of prominence in politics and, and have an office, oh, then people would come to Christ. And then we get to that place and we begin to go down that path, our path, our understanding, our way. And then the decisions come. And we compromise truth because we need to get that position. We need to do a little evil so that we can do a lot of good later. And then who gets the glory? We do. That's not how God works. Now, I think his parents could probably see it coming together. And I think Moses began to see it coming together too. And so at some time, I don't know why, except for the word of God, he decided at 40 years old, he would identify with the people of God. That was righteous. He had these opportunities, but he said, no, I'm going to identify with the people of God. You know how you do that? First of all, in your baptism. That's a public testimony where you declare publicly, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I want everybody to know it. But it follows in your life that that's what you do by just speaking truth. Wherever you go, in every situation, you just bring truth in the situation. It doesn't take too long before they go, okay, that, that, they're over there. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're so religious, they would say. Oh, they're religious. And we say, no, we're not religious. We're just a people that love God. But he separated under the people of God. The Bible says in verses 24 and 25, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God they consider to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now he made that decision probably based upon his education, his power, his position. And so now he, he could, you know, humble himself, but he's still a great man. And probably the Egyptians understand, what are you doing hanging out with those people over in Goshen? But he was still had a lot of Moses in there. Dwight Moody gave his own spin on the remarkable biography of Moses. Moody observed, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Mm -hmm. So he's in the transition right now. He's identified with the people of God, but he still thinks it's kind of about him and, oh, what I can do for the people of God. I see Christians go through that. Young believers get in there, and they probably don't have, maybe they got some weak believer that thinks, oh, they're going to be somebody because of their position. They don't understand. No, no, God, even if you're a believer, God's not willing to share his glory with anybody else. And so in the next verse, we find out that, excuse me, in, in verse 26, a faithful leader is motivated by eternal values. Verse 26 says, 
considered, he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he is looking to the reward. Now, what Christ is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. They don't know his name yet, but he's convinced there's going to be a real Messiah. And he decides to seek after that just like his forefathers who were seeking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Eternal reward. In Ezekiel, or excuse me, Exodus 33, we, we have this amazing passage of Scripture. The children of Israel, they've been led out in the desert. They, they've, they've seen God provide and protect. And they get out there. And God calls Moses up to the mountain to give him the Ten Commandments, to lay out the law, to lay out the government for his people. And before he even comes down, they've already turned to worship the golden calf after all God had done. But without spiritual leadership, because Aaron wasn't all that deep, was he? And he had that big lie. Well, I just threw the gold in and the calf came out. That's not what happened. They said, you give us another God like the gods we had in Egypt. Because obviously God's consumed this Moses. There's a fire when God came down. After all that, Moses comes back down and Josh says, man, is there a war going on? Moses says, no, God's already told me what it is. That's the people partying. That's abomination. That is wickedness. He got down. He got so filled with anger, he threw the plates down, right? Those, those stones that God had carved out with his own hand and, and written on with his own finger. He ground that calf to, to dust, put it in the water and said, you all drink of this bitterness. And they went back up to talk to God again. But after all the distraction of people that didn't honor God, of all the disappointments, you know what was becoming clearer and clearer in, in Moses' life? That he just wanted to know God. And Charles Spurgeon said that Moses uttered the greatest prayer and the scariest thing that a human being can ever ask for. Exodus 33, 18, he said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the father said, hey, you can't see my face and live, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock. I'm going to put my hand. I'm going to pass all my goodness before you. Moses came down from the mountain after that experience, and his face glowed reflecting the glory of God. And every time he went into the tent to talk to God like a friend talks face to face, he'd come out and his face would shine reflecting the glory of God. And that God, that's what God wants for your life. You won't have a physical glow. But God wants us not to be our goodness in ourself, but just being a reflection of his grace as we spend time with him in prayer and in the word of God. That's the leader that Moses was going to become to be. But there's some things God was going to work out. Verse 27. The faithful leader keeps his eyes on the Lord. And, and he didn't do that. Acts 7.23 says, When he was approaching the age of 40, he entered his mind to visit his brother and son of Israel. So he began to get out there. I think God was leading him to identify. We've already talked about that. His values were, were beginning to change. He was identifying with the people of God rather than the riches of, of Egypt. 
But he got out there and there was this moment. And with all of his power and his position, he saw an Egyptian overlord abusing a Hebrew servant. And he just said, hey, God, I got this. I got this. And whether it was a mighty blow or a sword, we're not told, but he killed that fellow. And he thought everybody's going to see that he's the deliverer. How do we know that? By, by Acts 7. He thought, oh, hey, let's rally. He wasn't afraid of Pharaoh because he thought he had the power. And then as soon as they saw somebody standing up, they're just going to crowd around him. He didn't know yet that God was going to make the people follow. It wasn't Moses going to make the people follow. The next day, he runs into a couple other brothers. And he says, hey, brothers, why are you abusing one another? Let the Egyptians do that. That's not your job. How can you get along? And one of them pushes him away and says, who made you a lord over us? The Bible says in Acts 7, 25, he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting deliverance through him. See, he thought it was him. But they didn't understand that. So when it says he left Egypt not fearing the king, when you read Exodus, and then you read what happened, you go, oh, hold it. How can you say he wasn't fearing? Well, see, God gave me a youth pastor fresh out of seminary, that would teach us the word of God and say, now listen, here's a problem. See, this is a problem because what what was he doing? Lynn was trying to get us to dig into the scripture to see things that we said, well, there's a problem, but it's not really a problem. God just wants you to dig down and get those jewels out. And he gave me a mentor like Doug Bookman. Then he gave me a disciple like, like John Hutchison and Billy Wiley. They're always coming up with these problems. I'm a disciple. Just tell me what the truth is. I'm going to just do that, but come with these problems. And so they make us go back and say, well, hold it. It says in the Old Testament that he left because he knew the king was going to kill him. Isn't that being afraid? But it says in Acts 7, we have further information about what actually happened. Yeah, the king would have tried to kill him. Moses wasn't afraid of the king. He realized that He was about on his own. He had stepped out of God's plan, thinking he would be the deliverer. And all of a sudden, he looked. Teddy Roosevelt was charging up San Juan Hill. And with the din of battle, he said, charge! And he ran up the hill. He got up there. He was all by himself. So he crawled back down the hill, and he chewed all his his fellas out. What is wrong with you? I said, charge. When I say charge, you charge. So we didn't hear you. Oh, okay. Well, charge this time, okay? All right, we'll charge. And they charge up the hill. Moses said charge, and nobody heard him because God was not speaking yet. God was going to have to do work in all the, the children of Israel. In that mixed multitude that eventually followed Moses out. But not yet. God wasn't done with Moses yet. Moses, I think, realizing, hey, maybe I got this wrong. Like, like, like us, when we step out of God, we, sometimes we get things wrong, don't we? We thought we are going to build an addition on over here, an entryway to make it easy. We had it all planned out, had the plans, and then God, through the city, said, nope. But see, we've been following the Lord long enough to go, hold it. Let's not get mad at the city here. This is God. This is God. An entryway shouldn't cost three quarters of a million dollars. So, all right, stop. We're not doing that. Okay, Lord, we hear you. 
What does it take for God to get your attention? So it took for Moses. So he said, well, my life here is over. My, my, my own people, the Hebrews, they don't want me. Pharaoh sure doesn't want me. He's going to see me as a threat now because he was a man of power and of deeds and of intelligence. And so he said, well, I'm just out of here. And God emptied him. For 40 years, he became a shepherd. But you know what God did give him? He gave him an amazing wife, and he gave him a godly father-in-law. So 40 years, until he was 80. Some of us start thinking of 50 or 40. Well, I'm just not getting done. You get all discouraged by looking at yourself. I'm just not getting done what I thought I was going to get done with life. And you start getting discouraged. Listen. He might wait till you're 80. He may be preparing you your whole life for, for such a time as this. It's about God. It's not about me. It's not about you. You know, God, he just seems like he's put this bird. I just, I would love to be able to preach the gospel in Spanish. And I tell the Lord, now, Lord, and I'm practicing. I got a course. I'm going through that course all the time. Every time the elders give me a chance, I go back to Costa Rica and I saturate myself down there. But I, t- I say to the Lord, Lord, I'm 60. One. And you know what all the people say? People say, when you get past that, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know what the Holy, Springs, Holy Spirit brings to me? Moses. That's exactly what Moses said after 40 years, not speaking Egyptian, not speaking Hebrew. He met him at that, that, that fiery bush, and he said, you're going to go now. Now you're ready. 40 years in seminary. You're ready now. And Moses said, but, but I can't talk. I don't think it was... A, he felt inadequate to public speak. I can't speak the language anymore. 40 years. What did God say? Who made man's mouth? Oh, that blesses my heart. If God puts something on your heart, don't take it in your own hands. You just follow him. And when it's time, he can do it. And then who's going to get the glory? Not you. Not you. And so he goes back. To a people that didn't understand. And he gives them the message. Uh, God wants me to lead you out. He's going to deliver you. I'm like, what? But this time, God was going to do it. And you have all the plagues that brought on Egypt. And what, what was going on? The Bible says in Romans chapter 9. That it was the goodness and grace of God, the mercy of God, that he poured out those plagues on Egypt. The long suffering of God. He gave Pharaoh and the Egyptians chance after chance after chance after chance to repent. Maybe like he's doing in your life. You think he got everybody fooled? God knows your heart. Don't worry about fooling us. He's given you opportunity and his mercy and even trials to wake you up. And yet you say, oh no, I got this. It was God's long-suffering that did that to Pharaoh in Egypt. But finally, at the end, he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. God's going to send a death angel tonight. So he told Egypt, he told the Pharaoh, and he told all the people of, of Israel, the death angel's coming tonight. And the only way to save your family and the firstborn of your family of people and of cattle is you take a lamb, you sacrifice the lamb, 
No blemish. You don't get the worst. You get the best. And you put the blood over the doorposts and the lintels. And when the death angel comes, he will pass over. You know who that, that lamb of God, that, that lamb represented? The lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist said when he was preparing the way for Jesus. Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Listen, you need a blood covering. This was God's provision. Now, what in the world did that have to do with saving people? Blood over the door? But you see, God calls faithful leaders to be an influence, to inspire. Are you a Sunday school teacher? Are you a mom or a dad? You're not going to get people to want to follow God by rules, just simply by information. The most important thing as you're teaching that truth is to be an example of the believer so that you might inspire those children to follow God. Now, these, these children of Israel, they gave him fits, right? Because the first thing that happened is when he said, he told Pharaoh, hey, God wants to pull us out. He increased the labor, and then he took the straw away. They hated Moses. Yet God continued to work until they realized they needed to do what Moses said. He was God's spokesman. And they kept the Passover. The Bible says, in every Egyptian house somebody died, but not in the homes of the Israelites. God protected them. Why? Because they had a leader that had learned how to submit himself to God. That was an inspiration. Okay, we don't understand, but this is what Moses said. We're just going to simply do what God said. And they followed him out. What happened then? Another test. One more test. They got out to the sea. God said, I'm not going to go the easy way. They need to learn how to fight. We're going to take them out this way. And they come, boom, big test, Red Sea. What do the people say? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You let us out here. Pharaoh's going to kill us out here. I love this. Moses didn't know how he was going to do it. But in Exodus 14, 13, Moses said, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. And God brought his Shekinah glory between the children of Israel and the Egyptian army all night long while he blew on the Red Sea. And the next day, they crossed over on dry land. Now, I don't know what happened when Moses tried to bury that Egyptian he killed. Maybe he, kept his, he didn't cover his toes, was still sick on the sand. But when God buried he buried the whole army. Egypt was never the power again. And all the people in the land that they were going feared because they heard what happened to anybody that messed with this people. Jesus said, don't fear the person that can take away your, take away your life. Fear him who can take body and soul and cast it into hell. That's who we fear only. He's our loving God who's provided everything for us. So how do we lead that way? Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? Go to church, he'll give you a Mercedes? No. That means if the Lord is your delight, his desires and your desires will be the same because he's the one giving you the desires by the direction, by the spiritual words and the spiritual thoughts. We sing the old gospel song, He leadeth me, oh precious thought. 
Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is he your shepherd today? Psalm 37 goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord. If he's put the desire in your heart, commit your way to the Lord, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. What is that? Those, those right decisions you make? God's called you. You're just following him. People say, I don't understand what you're doing. Sometimes you've got to say, I don't either. i just convinced this is what God has called me to do. I remember telling Christy that. We moved our little family, three boys, up to Watana to go to Bible college. Got a job. And a week after I got the job, I was just starting school. Put my little tie on to go to school. We had to wear a tie to go to class. And the day before they'd given us the word, they laid off everybody that had just come on. And Chrissy said, Paul, what are we going to do? And you know, God just gave me that peace in my heart. I said, honey, I don't know what we're going to do. But I'm convinced God called us here. You know, God provided so wonderfully that whole time. Looking back, we never made enough, really, on paper. And God provided it all so that what? So we can say, hitherto hath the Lord brought us. Not hitherto have I figured it out or have we done this with our power. Hitherto hath the Lord brought us, like Samuel said. Rest in the Lord, verse 7. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in a way, because of the man who cares out wicked schemes. Don't be, don't be angry about what the world is doing. God's got this thing. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. Evil doers will be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Father, we're so thankful for the instruction of Scripture. Lord, it's so simple. You said to Peter, follow me. Don't worry about the waves. Don't worry about the opposition. You follow me. Oh, Lord, this morning I pray if there are some here that have not made that decision to follow. Oh, Lord, just draw them to yourself. Help them to see that resting in you is the only safe place for all eternity. Lord, for us as believers, help us to cease striving and know that you are God. There's no one like you. And you have saved us on purpose. You have gifted us for a purpose. And Lord, give us the rest, the trust, the faith to simply follow you day by day. That we might be found faithful. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory because you are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.